At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, everybody. Ron Spomer back with you and another podcast about some of my old articles from back in the day. And pheasant season is coming up fairly soon in most northern states where they have pheasants. And that has always been one of my favorites because I was a South Dakota kid and I grew up with pheasants. I mean, South Dakota and pheasants back in the 60s and 70s, that was absolutely the best. And I think it still is. South Dakota has just done a remarkable job of supporting pheasants and pheasant hunters. It's a big part of the economy in that state. And as an agricultural state, most folks appreciate products from the land. And the and the pheasant is just sort of a byproduct, or it was, uh, until the farming became so intense that folks realized in the 70s, with fence line to fence line farming, you had no habitat left for pheasants. And everybody in South Dakota loved pheasants. It was It was like the great autumnal homecoming. People who moved away came back just for the pheasant opener. It was like Christmas in October, and it still is. So they've done just a wonderful job. And I have a little story that I did for the uh, September and October 1993 issue of Shooting Sportsman. It's fairly short, but it talks about the resurgence in that time, the resurgence of pheasants, because... After the 1970s of the drought and the fence line defense line farming, pheasant population had plummeted to about a million birds statewide. And they used to have, they figured, maybe 40 million birds in that state back in the 40s and 50s. So 
that was a big deal to just drop down to a million. And I think that's what woke people up. Now, my wife, Betsy, is here to join me today because she has always liked going to South Dakota pheasant hunting. I took her and her brother one time. I was doing the Winchester Legends TV show and we were doing a pheasant hunt in South Dakota. And because it is such a, a family event, I took her along and brought her brother up from Missouri to give him a crack at it because, of course, he had heard about all the wonderful pheasant hunting that's available up there and his dad used to go up and take advantage of it. So he wanted to uh, sample it and I took him along and, and he just had a ball. And so did Betsy. I don't think she got her first pheasant on that trip, maybe. My first and last pheasant. No, I think you got one more after that. <laughs> oh, I know. I have trouble with pheasant hunting. Yeah. The birds are just too big. They scare the pants off you and you can't no, shoot with your pants vision. down around your ankles. <laughs> No, it's my vision. I yeah, it is, honey. See, Betsy has a common problem, um, and that's cross-eye dominance. If you shoot right-handed and your left eye is dominant, that's the one that really sees the target, you're not going to shoot where you're looking. So I didn't know that when she started shooting. I should have known better and, and started her off because I know that kind of stuff. But it's like the plumber whose pipes all leak at home. <laughs> so she started off shooting right-handed, and then it was hard to get her to switch left handed because her left eye dominant when well, it finally I just, tumbled I've to just it. gotten frustrated. Now that we live here and we have pheasants on our land, I might go out and try it again. Yeah, we need to throw some clays and get you going left-handed. It'll take a while, but it'll, it'll come, I think, fairly quickly to you. But uh, at least you like to get out there and see the big raucous birds flush and scare the oh, bejesus out of you. Yeah, they're just so colorful. It's just such a, a fun Especially in October when it when it opens, because the weather is usually pretty nice yet. Of course, it can get nasty at any time. But when the weather is nice and it's calm and just deep, deep blue skies and the corn harvest is coming in and you can hear the tractors off in the distance. Maybe I'm overstating this because I grew up in that environment, but it's always been a special time for me. Well, I think you did grow up in that environment. So it brings back that the memories of your youth. And so that's why you like to go back to South Dakota. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, it's the, the thrill of the hunt and looking for pheasants and outsmarting them and all that stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of memories and nostalgia involved in it. My dad and my cousins and my uncles and all my buddies. And, and in fact, when I do go back, I try to go every fall, as you know. And I often miss Thanksgiving because I go back to hunt with my buddies and Betsy stays back with the family and cusses me out for not being there. But No, no. I'm just glad you get that. The opportunity to go back because they know it's important. Yeah, it, and it really is. You, you get to hunt with guys who are now getting up in years and you remember them from high school and you sort of marvel at, who are these old guys? And then <laughs> you look in the mirror and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> but we um, we still get out there. That's the amazing thing. You know, you've got these 60 to 70-year-old guys, kids who are still stomping around and, and just as thrilled with pheasants now as they were then. And in South Dakota, at least, most of the ground is relatively easy walking, so you can still hit it pretty hard. You know, you can push across a mile, hop in the truck and drive to another location and walk another mile, and you can do that for four or five hours and then take a lot of Advil <laughs> and do it again the next day and get your birds. It's, yeah, it's just a real treat. So if anyone out there hasn't hunted pheasants in South Dakota, that's what this story is about. I'm sure it's going to be about winter South Dakota because the title of it is A Winner for Pheasants. And that 
uh, was about, mm, that was about the years that the population really started to come back. It was also the year from a historical perspective of the great floods in the Midwest. Oh, yes. You're right. The, the 93 floods flooded out the Missouri River Valley and the Mississippi, St. Louis. Yeah, we even sandbagged. Oh, uh, yeah. St. Louis, and actually it was St. Charles at that time. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I remember hunting in South Dakota that year and it was so wet. Uh, the habitat was extremely limited because we hunt a lot of the wetlands there for pheasants because they love to get into the cattails and the bulrushes. And a lot of those areas are open to public hunting, free for nothing, uh, waterfall production areas. And so that must have been areas. the fall of 92. Yeah, so it must have been 92. But I again, I hunt every year there. So 93, this would have been published and I had written it from the year before. So I'm guessing this this little article will be about several hunts I had in the winter area from about 88 through that 93 season. Because I remember Mark Kaiser was working for South Dakota Tourism and he invited me back I didn't know Mark at the time, but turns out we had some common relations. See, his families and mine were related distantly, but uh, he and I hit it off really well because he's a South Dakota kid too. So we just had a lot in common and we like to hunt the same way. We like to get down on the ground and hit it hard. So he invited me there as a, an official outdoor writer visitor from state tourism. They footed the bill, which always helps me get there. <laughs> always like that. But he, he enticed me to come back because by then I had been hunting in Kansas quite a bit, had plenty of pheasants there, plus quail, and I loved a bobwhite quail hunt. But he said, no, look, our population is really getting good again, and we like to get the word out, so come on up and I'll show you what we've got. And he got me started hunting back there, and that would have been 88 or 89, and then from then on out, oh my gosh, the pheasants were just like better than when I was a kid, better than when I was a kid, holy mackerel. Because I can remember when I started hunting in the late 60s, mid 60s, probably 66 would have been the first year I was eligible. We still hunted soil bank, which back then it was like soil bank. Everybody knew it. What is it now? Well, it was one of these government programs where they paid farmers not to farm because they were overproducing and the prices were so low. So their idea then was to have a ba soil bank. You would put your field into usually alfalfa because it kept the weeds down pretty good. And then if you had a drought, you could always harvest uh, bales if you needed them. But there were a lot of fields that were just tangles of alfalfa, which pheasants absolutely love. They just get underneath that gnarly stands up to the snow really well. And it makes just a lot of good overhead cover for them. So that's what we hunted to find a lot of birds, but it just went out when I started hunting. 66, 67, I think by 68, it was probably gone. But I can remember hitting those fields and finding pheasants like crazy. And I thought this is going to be for the rest of my life. But bingo, within two, three years, it was gone. And then the pheasant population just went down, 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 down. And it got pretty dismal. So this is kind of a glory hunt because I'm going back to rediscover the good old days, which ended up being the good new days. And the hot spot then was around winter, South Dakota on the west side of the river. Everybody was talking about the great pheasant hunting there and by golly, they were right. So here is the title of this story, A Winner for Pheasants by Ron Spomer of all people. And this is how it goes. Places like people get reputations. Bristol Bay for salmon and giant rainbows. Texas for bobwhites. Alberta for trophy whitetails. Winner for pheasants. For the past 18 years, I've been hearing winter and pheasants 
in the same sentences, which has always struck me as peculiar since winter lies in the cowboy half of South Dakota where you expect to hear of bulls and wheat and maybe sharp-tailed grouse. Pheasants, you hear of them in corn country on the east side of the river. Well, not anymore. After three consecutive seasons of investigating the uplands near this south-central Dakota village, I can confirm the rumors. Winter and pheasants are synonymous, especially now that CRP has changed the face of the land. What used to be prairie and cows around winter became grain fields during the 1970s agribusiness boom. Because wheat fields are often left in stubble for an entire year, there being insufficient moisture to grow two wheat crops in a row, pheasants did well. During the 1980s agribusiness crash, many of those grain fields became CRP fields. Today's mix of Milo, wheat, and grass is a ringneck rodeo. Roosters run down the Milo rows, slink through the grass, promenade on the roads, and fly from the brush pockets in waves. Not two or three at a time, not five or ten at a time, more like 50 or 200. The economic potential of this raw resource hasn't been lost on the locals. Wheat and cattle markets might be down, but the demand for wild pheasants continues to be a bull market. Hunters can find just about any kind of pheasant hunting arrangement near winter. Knock on enough doors and you're bound to find a sympathetic landowner who will let you chase roosters for the price of asking. More will want $25 to $100 per hunter per day. For this, you might get a verbal description of which fields you can walk or a truck ride to and from those fields, a guide to direct you to the best covers, and maybe a lab to fetch your birds. You'll find official preserves that offer plenty of wild birds, plus pen-raised birds for additional shooting. My favorite spot is the old Weatherman Ranch. Now, I don't know if that even exists anymore, so don't go looking for it, folks. Because Google it. Well, they ch they tend to change hands about every ten years. Is something I've learned over my lifetime is that you think you've you've got a good landowner friend and you're going to be hunting there for the rest of your life. In about ten years, it sells out and somebody else takes it over. It just seems to be the average. At any rate, my favorite spot then was the old Weatherman Ranch. No preserved birds here. All wild, all cagey, all stars in track and field. Fortunately, there are so many of them that even a complete screw-up should kill one or two. A real bird hunter will think he's died and got an unexpected reward for his years of dedication to the sport. Imagine the scene. You're on a high rolling upland colored yellow, brown, and tan. This reaches the horizon in every direction, five to 12 miles away. None of this color looks higher than your waist, most of it isn't. That's why you can see so far, but it's high enough to cover pheasants. Start walking. Notice the birds flushing several hundred yards ahead of you and gliding into the next field. They are pheasants. Keep walking. Notice the birds flushing several hundred yards ahead of you. More pheasants. Keep walking. Eventually, some of those birds will fly up within shotgun range. This is your signal to shoot. You may follow these flying pheasants across a half mile of CRP grass, then through a quarter mile of milo stubble, another quarter mile of grass, down a sloping, ungrazed native grassland, I gotta turn my pages here, sprinkled with yuccas and into a creek bottom rimmed with plum thickets and forested with small oaks. Keep 
walking. Notice the flushing roosters. Keep shooting. Stop when you have your limit. Or keep walking and watching for sharp tails. They'll get up all together like the cubbies of 14 and 34 I flushed one afternoon last November. In the evening, they'll fly high and fast to the milo fields like ducks. You can pass shoot them. You can also pass shoot pheasants European style if you'd like a change of pace. Just note where they fly when you walk a field. The next day, discreetly post shooters on this flight path while one or two drivers walks the route. Lead them, lead them fast, and don't stop your swing. Such shooting is not a fleeting opening week phenomenon either. The first year I hunted Weathermonds, 1991, the season was in its final days, and still there were birds by the hundreds. Two and three hunters limited in a matter of hours each day. I actually passed up easy shots just to have the delicious experience of trying a ring neck double. I managed to pull it off three times, dropping the last two five feet apart in a patch of little blue stem. How sweet it is. Because of the great numbers of birds on Weathermonds, pointing dogs may not be the ideal team player. Even my Springer went goofy on me. When she hit so much bird scent, she overdosed. It was quite a sight. Eager young Boo sucked in great draughts of hot scent. She scooted just out of shotgun range, bumped a rooster, and chased it. This quickly put her on the tail of another cockbird, which led her to the next, and so on, until I could trace her progress by the rising and falling wave of long tails and wings. She eventually returned, self-chastened and humble, and suffered only momentary relapses during the week. My limited experience with a setter on Weatherman suggests a hunter will waste much time on solid points from which birds have already run off. However, once birds have been busted a few times and harassed, they spread out and hold in fringe cover around the edges of deeper stuff. Most of this vegetation is short enough that you can watch the dog work. This can change if South Dakota gets plenty of summer rain. And boy, they had that after 93. You couldn't see a pointing dog. You didn't need a dog with a high tail. You needed one with one of those antennas sticking up on the back with a flag on top. So uh, Winter um, has complete visitor facilities, including several motels that cater to hunters. For general information, contact Winter Chamber of Commerce, blah, blah, blah. Don't need to give the address. I suspect it's, it's probably still there, probably the same. Just look up Winter Chamber of Commerce and Pheasant Hunting or go to the South Dakota Tourism website or the Game Fish and Parks website. They've got all kinds of information on there for finding a good place to hunt pheasants. And as I've said earlier, there are so many public areas that are open. You don't have to hunt private land. You're going to have to work a little harder because there's a lot of competition. But, you know, we've always done well on the public areas, haven't we? Yeah. Even me. Yes, even you. I can remember when there were four roosters flying around your head and you couldn't decide which way to turn to shoot. <laughs> I think I've been in the same position. Yeah. And well, that is a fun position to be in. Right. But one of the things that when you read this article, what's the price change? I mean, it's expensive now for if you're going to a hunting lodge. Yeah. And, you know, I really can't answer that because I don't go there. I mean, I occasionally get invited on some kind of a writer's hunt to test new equipment and stuff. I mean, the last time we went, um, let me see, just outside of Pier. Oh, man, now I'm forgetting the name. Well, it's Scattergun. A- Scattergun Lodge. Great place. Oh, pheasants like crazy. But I got invited there to test out some new Mossberg shotguns. And Jim Zumbo was with me. And uh, they had a 28 gauge, a couple of them. And I just love 28 gauges. 
So I'm shooting it and Zumbo was just shooting a 12 gauge. And I said, Jim, you got to try this, this 28 gauge. He said, ah, 28 gauge, that's pop gun, man. You need a 12 gauge for pheasants. And I kept hitting my pheasants with a 28 until somebody else started shooting one and they were crowing about how great it was. <laughs> I think, I think it was Dave who did that. At any rate, with two of us dropping our birds reliably with that 28 gauge, finally we got him convinced to try one. So old Zumbo was standing at the end of the Milo field and we were pushing through it and birds were flying over him and he was dropping roosters at astronomical distances with that 12 gauge. Well, we got back there and he just, that was it. He was convinced. He says, I, I admit I was wrong. You don't need a 12 gauge for pheasants. I am now shooting a 28. And I don't know what the deal is with that 28 gauge, but those little Mossberg autoloader 28s were just hammering the birds. And I've done really well with them ever since. So don't think you have to have a three inch Magnum 12 gauge to uh, drop pheasants. It's mostly a good pattern and being on the bird. So are we going to go this year, honey? I'm not. You might. Oh, I, I have you, to go. I know. you got all your buddies that you meet every year at Thanksgiving. Yep. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good year. I've heard some pretty good reports. Uh, they said there's a lot of birds. You're seeing a lot. Brad's been out uh, training our dog Cricket, and he says she's finding a lot of half-grown to three-quarter-grown birds in July and into August. So he thinks we're going to have better season than last year, and what we you, got limits every day. How do you think Covey's going to do? Well, Covey's our English setter. Okay, yeah. She's our super dog. Oh, and Sorta. she's so super because she's our dog. That's about it. <laughs> she's really good looking. <laughs> she photographs well. <laughs> but does she does she point? Yeah, she did pretty well last year. Uh it was her first big season. Um she had done a little bit of work as a puppy the previous year, but last year was her first real real year and she did darn well uh, she retrieved a lot of birds which surprised me and she pointed a lot of birds and we, we just had a great time she didn't run off and do crazy stuff like dogs often do in pheasant country they see, smell so many birds they just go crazy but she hung right in there stayed fairly close so i'm thinking this year unless she's got this a lot of times what a dog will do is get a little of that experience under their belt and then they get a little braver and then they start to think they can do their own thing and you don't really count. And then they start to run a little bit wild. But I don't think she's going to. She seems to be a people dog and she'll uh, stick with us and do pretty well, I think. At any rate, I'm eager to find out. But if you want, honey, you can see how well she does right here because we will be hunting on the ranch for several weeks before we go to South Dakota. Hey, before we get too model in here, everyone, I want to tell you this is the end of this podcast <laughs> thank goodness yes <laughs> getting sick uh but hey just tune in again you can catch our podcasts on your favorite podcatcher or go to ronspomeroutdoors.com we have them there you can also find us on youtube watch some of our videos I, do we have a video of that south dakota pheasant hunt i don't think we do no, that was that Winchester Legends show. You might find it. Look up Winchester Legends, South Dakota pheasant hunting with my name or something, and you might get to find that one. Everything's out there someplace. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and tune in. We really appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And until next time, we just urge you to hunt honest and shoot straight.
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.